Hello, my name is Isaac, and today I will be reading Percy Jackson and the Last Olympian. Um, and I'll be reading the first part of chapter 9, as it is a very long chapter. Yeah. Without further ado, let's get on with the chapter. Chapter 9. Two Snakes Save My Life. I love New York. You can pop out of the underworld in Central Park, hail a taxi, head down Fifth Avenue with a giant hellhound lopping behind you, and nobody will even look at you funny. Of course, the mist helped. People probably couldn't see Mrs. O'Leary, or maybe they thought she was a large, loud, very friendly truck. I took the risk of using my mom's cell phone to call Annabeth for the second time. I'd called her once from the tunnel, but only reached her voicemail. I'd had surprisingly good reception, seeing as it was the mythological center of the world and all. But I didn't want to see what my mom's roaming charges were going to be. This time, Annabeth picked up. Hey, I said. You get my message? Percy, where have you been? Your message said almost nothing. We've been worried sick. I'll fill you in later, I said. Though, how I was going to do that, I had no idea. Where are you? We're on the... We're on our way, like you asked, almost to the Queen's Midtown Tunnel. But Percy, what are you planning? We've left camp virtually undefended, and there's no way the gods... Trust me, I said. I'll see you there. I hung up. My hands were trembling. I wasn't sure if it was a leftover reaction from my dip in the sticks or anticipation of what I was about to do. If this didn't work, being invulnerable wasn't going to save me from getting blasted to bits. It was late afternoon when the taxi dropped me at the Empire State Building. Mrs. O'Leary bounded up and down Fifth Avenue, licking cabs and sniffing hot dog carts. Nobody seemed to notice her, although some people did swerve away and look confused when she came close. I whistled, I whistled her to heel as three white vans pulled up to the curb. They said... Delphi's Strawberry Service, which was the cover-up name for Camp Half-Blood. I'd never seen all three vans in the same place at once, though. I knew they shuttled our fresh produce into the city. The first van was driven by Argus, our many-eyed security chief. The other two were driven by Harpies, which were are basically demonic-human-chicken hybrids with bad attitudes. We used the Harpies mostly for cleaning camp, but they did pretty well in midtown traffic, too. The door slid open. A bunch of campers climbed out, some of them looking a little green from the long drive. I was so glad, I was glad so many had come. Pollux, Selena Bordegard, the Stoll brothers, Michael Yu, Jake Jake Mason, Katie Gardner, and Annabeth, along with all of their siblings. Most of them, at least. Karen came out of the last van. His half, his horse half was compacted into his magic wheelchair, so he used the handicapped lift. Ares' cabin wasn't there, but I tried not to get too angry about that. Clarice was a stubborn idiot. End of story. I did a head count. Forty campers in all. Not many to fight a war, but it was still the largest group of half-bloods I'd ever seen gathered in one place outside of camp. Everybody looked nervous, and I understood why. We're probably, not, probably sending out so much demigod aura that every monster in the Northeast United States knew where we were. As I looked at all their faces, all these campers I'd known for so many summers, a nagging voice whispered in my mind, One of them is a spy.
but I couldn't dwell on that. They were my friends. I needed them. Then I remembered Kronos' evil smile. You can't count on friends. They'll always let you down. Annabeth came up to me. She was dressed in her black camouflage with a celestial bronze knife strapped to her arm and her laptop bag slung over her shoulder. Ready for stabbing or surfing the internet? Whichever came first. She frowned. What is it? What's what? I asked. You're looking at me funny. I realized I was thinking about my strange vision of Annabeth pulling me out of the stakes. It's, uh, nothing. I tried. I turned to the rest of the groups. Thanks for coming, everybody. Chiron, after you. My old mentor shook his head. I came to wish you good luck, my boy. But I make it a point never to visit Olympus unless, unless I am summoned. You're our leader. He smiled. I am your trainer, your teacher. That is not the same thing as being your leader. I will go gather what allies I can. It may be not to be, it may not be too late to convince my brother's centaur, centaurs to help. Meanwhile, you called the campers here, Percy. You are the leader. I wanted to protest, but everybody was looking at me expectantly, even Annabeth. I took a deep breath. Okay. Like I told Annabeth on the phone, something bad is going to happen by tonight. Some kind of trap. We've got to get in an audience with Zeus and convince him to defend the city. Remember, we can't take no for an answer. I asked Argus to watch Mrs. O'Leary, which neither of them looked happy about. Karen shook my hand. You'll do well, Percy. Just remember your strengths and beware of your weaknesses. It sounded eerily close to what Achilles had told me. Then I remembered Chiron had taught Achilles. That didn't exactly reassure me, but I nodded and tried to give him a confident smile. Let's go, I told the campers. A security guard was waiting behind the desk in the lobby, reading a big black book with a flower on the cover. He glanced up when we all filled in with our weapons and armor clanking. School group, we're about to close up. No, I said, 600th floor. He checked us out. His eyes were pale blue and his head was completely bald. I couldn't tell if he was human or not, but he seemed to notice our weapons, so I guess he wasn't fooled by the mist. There's no 600th floor, kid. He said like it was a requirement line I, he didn't believe. Move along. I, le- I leaned on the desk. Forty demigra- demigods attract an awful lot of monsters. You really want us hanging out in your lobby? He thought about that. Then he hit a buzzer and the security gate swung open. Make it click. <clears throat> You're not... You don't want us going through the metal detectors, I added. Um, no, he agreed. Elevator's on the right. I guess you know the way. I tossed him a golden drachma, and we marched through. We decided we I would take... It would take two trips to get everybody up in the elevator. I went, I went with the first group. Different elevator music was playing since my last visit. That old st- song, Staying Alive... A terrifying image flashed through my mind of Apollo in bell-button trousers, and a slinky silk t-shirt. I was glad when the elevator doors finally dinged open. In front of us all, a path of floating stones led through the clouds up to Mount Olympus, hovering 2,000 meters over Manhattan. I'd seen Olympus several times, but it still took my breath away. The mansions glittered gold and white against the sides of the mountains. Gardens bloomed on a hundred terraces, Scented smoke rose from braziers that lined the winding streets. 
and right at the top of the snow-capped crest rose the main palace of the gods. It looked as majestic as ever, but something seemed wrong. Then, I realized the mountain was silent. No music, no voices, no laughter. Manbeth studied me. You look... different, she decided. Where exactly did you go? The elevator doors opened again, and the second group of half-bloods joined us. Tell you later, I said. Come on. We made our way across the sky bridge into the streets of Olympus. The shops were closed. Closed. The parks were empty. A couple of muses, muses sat on the bench, strumming flaming lyres, but their hearts didn't seem to be into it. A lone cyclops swept the streets with an uprooted oak tree. A minor godling spotted us from balcony and ducked his eye, closing his shutters. He passed under. We passed under a big marble archway with statues of Zeus and Hera on either side. Annabeth made a face um, at the queen of the gods. Hate her, she muttered. She's been cursing you or something? I asked. Last year, Annabeth had gotten Hera's bad side, but Annabeth hadn't really talked about it. Just little stuff so far, she said. Her sacred animal is the cow, right? Right. So she sends cows after me. I tried not to smile. Cows? In San Francisco? Oh, yeah. I usually don't see them, but the cows leave me little presents all over the place. In our backyard? On the sidewalk? In the school hallways? I have to be careful where I step. Look! Pollux cried, pointing towards the horizon. What is that? We all froze. Blue lights were streaking across the evening sky towards Olympus, like tiny comets. They seemed to be coming from all over the city, heading straight towards the mountains. As they got close, they fizzled out. We watched them for several minutes, and they didn't seem to do any damage, but it was still strange. Like infrared scopes, Michael Yu muttered. We're being targeted. Let's go to the palace, I said. No one was guarding the Hall of the Gods. The gold and silver doors stood wide open. Our footsteps echoed as we walked into the throne room. Of course, room doesn't really cover it. The palace, the place, was the size of a Madison Square, of Madison Square Garden. High above, the blue ceiling glittered with constellations. Twelve giant empty thrones stood in a U around the hearth. In one corner, a house-sized globe of water hovered in the air, and aside swam an old friend of my old friend, the Ophiatorus, half cow, half serpent. Moo, he said happily, turning in a circle. Despite all the serious stuff going on, I had to smile. Two years ago, we'd spent a lot of try time trying to save the Ophiatorus from the Titans, and I got, and I'd got kind of fond of him. He seemed to really like me, too, even though I'd originally thought he was a girl named him Bessie. Hey, man, I said. They treating you okay? Moo, Bessie answered. We walked towards the thrones, and a woman's voice said, Hello again, Percy Jackson. You and your friends are welcome. Hestia stood by the hearth, poking the flames with a stick. She wore the same kind of brown dress as she had before, but she was a grown woman now. I bowed. Lady Hestia. My friends followed my example. Hestia regarded me with her red, glowing eyes. I see you went through with your plan. You bear the curse of Achilles. The other campers started muttering among themselves. What did he say? What did she say? What about Achilles? You must be careful, Hestia warned me. You gained much on your journey. 
but you are still blind to the most important truth. Perhaps a glimpse is in order. Annabeth nudged me. Um, what is she talking about? I stared into Hestia's eyes, and an image rushed into my mind. I saw a dark alleyway between red brick warehouses. The sign of the doors read, Richmond Iron Works. Two half-bloods crouch in the shadows. A boy about fourteen and a girl about twelve. I realized with a start that the boy was Luke. The girl was Thalia, daughter of Zeus. Now seeing the scene from back in the days when they were on the run, before Grover found them, Luke carried a bronze knife. Thalia had her spear and shield of terror, Aegis. Luke and Thalia both looked hungry with lean, with wild animal eyes, like they were used to being attacked. Are you sure? Thalia asked. Luke, Luke nodded. Something down here. I sense it. A rumble echoed from the hallway, from the alley, with some someone had banged a sheet of metal. The half-bloods crept forward. Old crates were stacked on a loading dock. Dahlia and Luke approached with their weapons ready. A curtain of corrugated tin quivered as if something was behind it. Dahlia glanced at Luke. He counted, silently. One, two, three. He ripped away the tin, and a little girl flew at him with a hammer. Whoa, Luke said. The girl had tangled blonde hair and was wearing a flannel pajamas. Uh, she could have, couldn't have been more than seven, but she would have brained Luke if he hadn't been so fast. He grabbed the, her wrist and the hammer skittered across the cement. The little girl fought and kicked. No more monsters, go away! It's okay, Luke struggled to hold her. Dahlia, put your shield down, you're scaring her. Dahlia chap, tapped Aegis and it shrank back into a silver bracelet. Hey, it's alright, she said. We're not gonna hurt you, I'm Dahlia. This is Luke. Monsters! No, Luke promised. But we know all about monsters. We fight them, too. Slowly, the girl stopped kicking. She studied Luke and Thalia with large, intelligent gray eyes. You're like me? She said suspiciously. Yeah, Luke said. We're, well, it's hard to explain, but we're monster fighters. Where's your family? My family hates me, the girl said. They don't want me. I ran away. Thalia and Luke locked eyes. I knew they both related to what she was saying. What's your name, kiddo? Thalia asked. Annabeth. Luke smiled. Nice name. I tell you what, Annabeth. You're pretty fierce. We could use a fighter like you. Annabeth's eyes widened. You could? Oh, yeah. Luke turned his knife and offered her the handle. How do you like a real monster-slaying weapon? This is celestial bronze. It works a lot better than a hammer. Maybe under most circumstances, offering a seven-year-old a knife would not be a good idea. But... When your half-blood regular rules kind of go out the window. Annabeth gripped the hilt. Knives are only for the bravest and quickest fighters, Luke explained. They don't have the reach or power of a sword, but they're easy to conceal and they can find weak spots in your enemy's armor. It's, it takes a clever warrior to use a knife. I have a feeling you're pretty clever. Annabeth stared at him with adoration. I am! Thalia grinned. We'd better get going, Annabeth. We have a safe house on the James River. We'll get you some clothes and food. You're not you're not going to take me back to my family, she said. Promise? Luke put his hands, hand on her shoulder. You're part of our family now, and I promise I won't let anything hurt you. I'm not going to fail you like our families did us. Deal? Deal, Annabeth said happily. 
Now come on, Dahlia said. We can't stay put for long. The scene shifted. The three demigods were running through the woods. It must have been several days later, maybe even weeks. All of them looked beaten up like they'd seen some battles. Manabeth was wearing new clothes, jeans, and an oversized army jacket. Just a little further, Luke promised. Annabeth stumbled, and he took her hand. Annabeth, Thalia brought up uh, to the rear, branding her shield like she was driving back whatever pursued them. She was limping on her left leg. They scrambled to a riggage and looked down to the other side of a white colonial-style house. Make a Stellan's place. All right, Luke said, breathing hard. I'll sneak in and grab some food and medicine. Wait here. Luke, are you sure? Dahlia asked. You swore you'd never come back, or if she catches you... We don't have a choice, he growled. They burned our nearest safe house, and we've got to treat that leg wound. This is your house? Annabeth said with amazement. It was my house, Luke muttered. Believe me, if I if it wasn't an emergency... Is your mom really horrible? Annabeth asked. Can we see her? No, Luke snapped. Annabeth shrank away from him like his anger surprised her. I... I'm sorry, he said. Just wait here. I promise everything will be okay. Nothing is going to hurt you. I'll be back. A brilliant golden flash illuminated the woods. The demigods winced, and a man's voice boomed. You should not have come home. And that was as far as I am going to read right now into this chapter. I hope you guys had a good time listening to me read it. And that you will come back for the next one, the next part, I should say. Um, I know this is a different time than I usually upload, but hopefully it doesn't inconvenience anybody. If anything, it should make it better because then people can, more people can listen at different times. But um, yeah. Bye, Isaac. Out.